Welcome to the Pages to Pictures podcast, the show where we discuss the art of adaptation from one storytelling medium into another. Each episode revolves around a single film based on pre-existing stories or franchises and asks three questions specific to the adaptation. Your hosts are James Janowski, giant Cincinnati Reds fan, screenwriter, and screenwriting instructor at the School of Visual Arts in New York City and Screen Experience at ScreenExperience.com. Skid Marr, a founding member of the Glass Cannon Network, podcaster extraordinaire, and a guy who gets paid to play role-playing games. And Andy Schmidt, former Marvel Comics editor, writer of comics, graphic novels, video games, children's books, former director of intellectual property and development at Hasbro, and founder of the online comic book school, Comics Experience. Now get ready for the nerdiest podcast in history. And welcome to Pages to Pictures. Welcome to Pages to Pictures. Uh, my name is Andy Schmidt, former Marvel Comics editor and uh, creator of Comics Experience, the online comic book and screenwriting school. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Black Panther. Along with our co-hosts, Skid Marr. Hello, Skid. I'm Skid Marr. Hello, I'm from the Glass Cannon Network of Podcasts and this podcast. And also James Janowski. James, Hello. are you there? Uh, screenwriter, screenwriting teacher, and all-around happy guy. Oh, that's so nice. Excellent. That's great. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> it's nice to do with someone who's happy wow. for once. That's really uh, going to be a real treat for me. That's, that's really, it's really unlike us, isn't it? Uh, it's so off-brand, but I, I like it. So today we're talking about uh, the film The Black Panther, and chances are you've already seen it. The source material that we were going to be drawing from and kind of making our comparisons from, uh, and they they go back all the way from his origins in early early issues of the Fantastic Four, fifty two and fifty three, um, all the way up to more to more recent stuff um, into the around two thousand four uh, was the last stuff that we're we're particularly looking at. But there's a whole bunch of stuff in between. There are lots of different takes on the Black Panther character. And so what's interesting when we when we go through this is to see what material are the filmmakers mining from um, and what have they changed and maybe why they changed, that kind of a thing. But what we do in this podcast is we try to focus on usually about three questions in particular. And for Black Panther, uh, James was was our pick to come up with the, the three questions. So he'll be leading this week's discussion. James, are you ready to go? You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. The first question is, how faithful is the Black Panther film adaptation from the comics? Uh, Andy, you want to start off? Okay, I love a good softball question to start. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's quite good, and, and, and it's very different. I mean, I know this is one of our early episodes here, so it's... It's it's hard to sort of make the statement that it's that it that it's different from other adaptations in significant ways, but it really it really is, and part of that is the nature of you know if we're talking about Black Panther in terms of a character and and potential franchise. Well, I think at this point we could say that Black Panther is becoming a franchise given how well this movie is doing. Um, but if you look at Black Panther, the the intellectual property and how it's evolved in the comics and now into the film. Um, what's interesting to to me is that it is clearly an evolution that Black Panther was, while not a throwaway sort of character in Fantastic Four 52 and 53, um, he is developed, but he is not the Black Panther that we see on screen uh, in this film. And over the years, going from those early adventures in Fantastic Four and Avengers, um, there was a real shift in direction for Black Panther in jungle action um, when Don McGregor and Rich Buckler took over on the on the character. And they um, they were really interested in exploring more of Africa and more, you know, then current events um, kind of going on in Africa and and in the United States at the time in the in the late 70s. And then. You know, as the character continued to evolve, it seems that there has been some sort of 
recognition and 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 um that that perhaps it was not up to just white people to write and illustrate uh black panther comics and that there's more to that story and there are aspects to that story that 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 need to be told from different cultural points of view and so that process has been evolving i mean and the, the first step of it was just recognizing hey maybe other people will have a better more authentic take on this character or the history of this character or that sort of thing and that has been evolving um in the comics over decades and this film with so many you know african and african-american uh people involved seems like a continuation of that process and maybe even the the you know the the ultimate goal of that process when you've got ryan coogler you know behind the camera who's an amazing director mm -hmm. um you know going so in terms of adaptation i do think it is faithful but there have been so many different takes on the black panther that that you're able to pick and choose aspects from over time um but this really does feel like an evolution not just of the character as the character but also of how the franchise how the intellectual property of black panther and wakanda is being handled i think is super cool yeah i you know this source material this this is what's so interesting about this adaptation is it it goes from 1966 to basically right up to today uh and the fact that you could see as you read these comics that uh ryan coogler who did fruitball station uh as well as creed both movies that i absolutely love and and uh and uh recommend you seek out if you haven't seen those films and you could see he just he was pulling from all of that material and using it and putting this this is one of the things i love about adaptation is it's like a big puzzle and you have to kind of like put the pieces in there but then he also kind of remade the the puzzle pieces sometimes to make it fit to what he was his objective of telling a story about someone who is and this is one of the things that i loved about this um you know normally when you see a standalone movie uh, a superhero film it's about them becoming the superhero. This movie starts off with him as Black Panther. This is him becoming the king. This is his origin story as uh, T'Challa, rather than just to him, the superhero story of the origin story of Black Panther, which I think is rather unique. And it was one of the things I was thinking about af after I saw the movie. And, um, you know, you could just see from each part of, the, you know, these comics, he was pulling pieces from all of them. And I felt that was rather unique. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Go ahead. Yeah, so it was. Sorry. I. It is interesting. Everyone complains about getting these origin stories like again and again, and but that's one of the unique things about Black Panther is he's not a unique hero like Spider Man. Like he's someone who's inheriting a mantle, and I'm trying to think of other examples of that in comics. I'm kind of drawing a blank, but. Uh, but yeah, but I love the fact that it's like we kind of, and we've seen him before, like in you know other other movies. But it is cool that you know we're we're getting him like at the at the beginning of his career. We don't uh, it's uh, but we get that sense of the history and the responsibility like laid on his shoulders. Like I like that too. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, just to add to, to to some of what you guys were already saying in terms of of. You going back to that puzzle you you were talking about, James, like the puzzle that you're pulling from over time, and and it's fascinating that you know it's taken the comics decades to introduce all of these characters. You know, going back to 1964 was that one? Fantastic. 66. 66. Um, I, I I didn't write all the dates down in my notes. Um, but then you know it was in the 70s when Eric Killmonger first appears in in Jungle Action. Um, and then you know it's not until 1998 i think that everett ross um shows up and then it's not till 2004 when black panther's sister shuri shows up for the first time in the comics and yet in the film you know it, it took decades to introduce all these characters in the comics and the film you're introduced to all of them all at once and one of the one of the stumbling blocks that we've seen in, in adaptations in the past is trying to put too much on the on the screen at once in a way that's that winds up being confusing but it's really really well handled um you know from a from a screenwriting and a directing standpoint i thought it was really well handled because i felt like i was introduced that each one of them has a has a clear introduction 
understand who they are. I understand their relationship to T'Challa. All of that, you know, is well handled. It's it's clearly done. Everybody has sort of their defining moment, their defining looks, um, from costume design to the way they're directed to the way they speak to um, even to the way they're lit in some cases. So there's such care given to making sure that those characters all are established and real and that you understand if, even if I don't remember somebody's name, I understand how they relate to the rest of the cast, which is a, this is a pretty big cast. So that's a, that's a, that's quite an accomplishment in and of itself. It is. It's like every, every lead African-American actor from the last like decade is in this movie. Uh, there's, uh, it's like a Forrest Whitaker is in it and he's in there for like five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I saw, on, I saw on Twitter that, that somebody said like, finally, a, a you know, a, a movie poster full of people and there's only two white dudes and they're Gollum and Frodo and, and, or not, not Gollum and Bilbo. Well, yeah. And I'm okay right. with that. It's like all uh, the, I thought, the, it was, the, I thought it was pretty hilarious. Tolkien white dudes. Right. That's, that's, totally yeah. Yeah. that's pretty yeah. funny yeah. um but well you, you know going back to the comics you know the, the one of the things that i liked was the dorm uh Moulage, uh and nakia and um and okia and uh uh i i love those characters and they were introduced in 98 uh right. and you see the evolution from 1966 from the fantastic four where black panther is He's not a honorable man. He's actually tricking the Fantastic Four into this, you know, this uh, <laughs> um, to, to, to determine whether or not he is actually worthy of being the Black Panther. Yeah, it's kind of a crappy, and, uh, like, kind of a crappy move. Like, honestly, like in the beginning, yeah. he's, <laughs> he's honorable. He says he's honorable. He does say that he, he is honorable. That. So there is that. Yes. Yeah. He does say like, I am honorable. <laughs> he makes that very but clear. Who are we to disagree just based on his actions? <laughs> but he, like, but that's he, not but fair. He, yeah. <laughs> but he brings yeah i know he brings the ff over and says oh be our guest but now i'm going to try now i'm going to fight right. you um but actually the f and trick the, you into these the, the funny thing Go for ahead. me was those first two issues i for some reason i read them out of order so i i, I don't know what i did wrong but i read the second issue out of uh, after the, the issue after he fights them i read that first and Ben number fifty. Yeah, and so Ben Grimm in that issue is being a real jerk to to T'Challa, like in that whole <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, right? He's just like, hey, you know, he's calling him all these names and like being just real ornery. And I'm like, why is he being so mean to Black Panther? I don't understand. And it was just like, oh, he just ambushed them like for no good reason. I didn't realize that. I was like, this is funny. Yeah, and it, it does. I mean, if you know much about how those comics came together and, and I don't have a whole lot of behind the scenes, you know, knowledge specifically on these issues, but you know, a lot of times, you know, the, the, the story is not real fleshed out when, when Jack Kirby would, would go and draw the issues. And so, you know, sometimes he would draw stuff and then Stan Lee would go and script it and be like, what is this? You know, we didn't talk about this. <laughs> um, and so, you know, or or the idea may have originally been that the Black Panther was was completely a jerk and was designed to be a villain. And then he showed up and they were like, this guy's kind of awesome. Like, let's make him not so much a jerk. But like at that point, you can't change what the story was dramatically. Drawn. So it was withdrawn. So yeah, right. Yeah. It's been drawn. I mean, the famous the famous story is with the Silver Surfer that that Stan got the pages from Jack and was like, who is that guy? Like, where did he come from? Why is there this dude? on a surfboard here. <laughs> and so that's how, and Jack's just like, well, he just seemed like you needed a guy on a surfboard. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that's a direct quote uh, of, what, of how that conversation went. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so it, it's just interesting how much of that stuff was kind of done, not necessarily on the fly, but, but, you know, nowadays, you know, you get a full script that says panel one, this is what happens. And then here's the dialogue and panel two, this is what happens. And here's the dialogue. Um, and so it's a little, they're more thought out. We tend to think in terms of story arcs, you know, in, in like your sort of your Marvel and your DC comics and your superhero comics that, you know, have been in publication for years and years. You know, that's kind of how it, how it goes. So it's, it's just done differently, but yeah, the idea that like, that, that the Black Panther is like this 
like i mean he ambushes them he kidnaps them uh he knocks them all unconscious some of them multiple times and then at the end of the issues he's like they're like ah no but that's cool because like you gave us a flying car yeah Uh, so let's all sit around and you can tell us a story and you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna believe you because you've shown yourself to be such an awesome guy already Uh, i would i would say that um Ryan Coogler was very smart not to bring Wyatt Wingfoot into the, uh, into the movie. <laughs> that was so weird. I would agree with that. Such a weird <laughs> part of the comic. It was Johnny Storm's college roommate, right? That's Wyatt right. Wingfoot, yeah. who's That's... Uh, uh, like a world-class American Indian tracker. I, I, I couldn't really like parse it out. Well, for half the comic, he's sleeping. Yeah, he's <laughs> like asleep. Issue right. number 52. Yeah. That's he's his superpower. Sleeps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sleeps through anything. Uh, you know, the, one of the things I was thinking about as I was watching the movie, you know, um, when you listen to Stan Lee and he talks about uh, the the evolution of Marvel and how important it was to put his characters in the real world, and I and I'm sitting there thinking, I wonder what the decision was to say, all right, we we are doing the Black Panther, let's put him in a fictitious a fictitious uh, country, Wakanda, rather than. Let's put it, um, you know, in Kenya or Zimbabwe or, you know, a a country that actually exists. So I thought that was uh, um, an interesting choice on their part. And I I don't know if anybody knows why they did that or has a a guess. I have a guess. um, And and, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get too much into conjecture and make it sound like like I know more than I do in, in terms of the specifics. But if you look at at Jack Kirby's work. Um, without Stan clearly being in the real world was not a concern of his. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, he's the guy that created the fourth world, the new gods. And, and, you know, I mean, he would just, I mean, he would be all over the place and his imagination would just pour out onto the page with monsters and science fiction ideas and fantasy ideas. Um, and so not to say that, that those two passions are in conflict with, one another necessarily but um you know it w- again it would not surprise me if if it was you know go to go to a nation in africa and we meet the black panther and he's trying to trap them and 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 in stan's mind you know that was going to be a fight in the jungle or in a desert or something like that and then when jack went to do it he was like i think it's gonna be cooler if we do conda you know and it's this super science fiction he plays or whatever like i don't i don't know that that's the case i have no idea and i'm not suggesting that that is but but Jack brought an otherworldliness, um, especially to Fantastic Four, that um, that you know I I I think you know wasn't always in keeping with with Stan's ideas. You know, Stan got more into the the melodrama and the you know oh, we're going to Empire State mm-hmm. College and there's drama there and there's mm-hmm. all the stuff at home like I, that feels like that was more sort of Stan's. Um, interest and i think that's a a large part of what made fantastic four so unique and and such an important piece of marvel comics history is is that it was big and boisterous and otherworldly and yet also it was the melodrama of a family Family. at home and yeah yeah family drama Um, yeah and it and and kind of getting back to 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 black panther you know another thing that that the filmmakers did that i thought was was really impressive was making those decisions because you know from from Stan and Jack um to Avengers um I think that issue was written by Roy Thomas to Jungle Action when Don McGregor as writer took over to Kirby by himself those issues are very very different and were not really used in the in the film um for the first Black Panther ongoing series then to Black Panther Volume Three um, with Christopher Priest writing, uh, to Volume Four with Reginald Hudlin writing, um, it's interesting to see like how how different the character could be from one series to another in terms of his personality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of you know in the early FF issues, you know, I know we all kind of you know um, winced at the Black Panther saying, "I do not consider a female combatant to be a challenge." Yeah. You know, so we'll just we'll just put her in a bubble over here or whatever. Um, not not deftly handled by today's 
standards. Um, but you know, he changes a lot and he can be a villain and he can be an antagonist and he can, he can be the hero and he can be the protagonist. And, and so it was just really interesting to see which personality traits that the, 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 the screen team, I, I guess we'll call it, you know, we're really picking from because there's also an inherent contradiction with the black Panther and Wakanda here. You have, this superhero that's popular. So you want to get him out. You want to make him part of the Avengers and you want to, to do all this stuff like out in the world. And yet his backstory is as King of Wakanda, <laughs> we don't want the world to know we exist yeah, yeah. and we are completely isolationist and we don't interfere and we don't do any of this stuff, but as black Panther, I'm going to go out, I'm going to be an Avenger. Um, <laughs> like there is this contradiction. And one of the things that, that, I love to see in, in an adaptation is when you find something that's, that's a contradiction or something that, that doesn't really work and you manage to flip it or use it to your advantage. And I felt like they really were able to do that. They took this inherent contradiction and made that a central theme, um, both with T'Challa and with, um, with Killmonger, you know, the, the, the villain here. So I thought that that was, that was a really, really good call. Uh, and really yeah, and, well handled. and uh, tapping into the the political climate of this day, where we're you know isolationists or going to be globalists, and uh, you know, I thought that was a very smart and intelligent. You know, they were they were tapping into whatever is out there in the uh, the zeitgeist, um, and uh, I really liked that. That's what this this is the arc of T'Challa in this movie is realizing that if we're going to be a part of this world we really have to be a part of it and we have to go out and, uh, and engage the world and, and bring what we have to it. And I thought that, that was uh, really great. What happens now determines what happens to the rest of the world. Are the Black Panther secondary characters in this film um, and its villains more interesting than T'Challa? Uh, Skid, you want to take that one? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a valid criticism to a certain extent, because I think it's unusual as far as these the comic book movies we've seen to have secondary characters that are so interesting. And Black Panther is kind of similar to Captain America in a certain respect, in that he is a hero who has his emotional stuff together. So you don't really have the level of internal conflict that you have with, you know, Tony Stark or some of these other guys. Like, so the, he's a pretty, he's a pretty straightforward hero, which I love. Like if you can pull that off, like yeah. I'm a big fan of that. So, uh, but I mean, I, 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 I guess that, but that doesn't appeal to everyone. Like some people want that kind of inner conflict that he doesn't have. Right. Those those are those are the people that find Superman boring because he's good and he's right. Yeah. Right. And right. and uh, therefore he's boring. But. Yeah. And uh, but it is also a credit to how awesome the the the, the, the two really good villains. When uh, the rest of the Marvel movies have managed, I think one collectively. So. <laughs> Like this is uh like like that's awesome. Like uh, everyone around him is great. Like he's surrounded by fantastic actors too. Like there's like the actors in the movie are so great. Um, so uh, it really is an unbelievable cast, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, they're yeah, totally. Fantastic. There's there's not a there's not a poor or even mediocre performance in in the bunch. I didn't think. Yeah, I, I think uh, the, one of the reasons why Killmonger is so great as a villain is that his motivation is completely understood. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is just, and, and as well as, uh, you know, um, uh, the, the other villain as well. Claw. <clears throat> or Claw. Or, or Claw, Claw. Okay. yes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, and I really think if, if, if you have someone who has such determination in their motivation, and it comes through with every moral fiber of, of his being, that this is the right way to handle this, I'm doing my father's work that uh, I think that re that really works well with this character. And that's why we <clears throat> makes him a great villain. It, it represents a dynamic 
that Marvel has used to great effect too with like Magneto and Professor X, which is this kind of battle this over the collective souls of of a people of an oppressed people like in the case of mutants or uh but it's like the classic martin luther king versus malcolm x kind of thing like struggling over which direction to take these people and t'challa and killmonger it's it's the same thing and uh i just i i just love it i just love it because it's like he is He's the uh, Killmonger is the guy like who, under certain circumstances, could be the hero if the situation calls for it. Like he could lead the New Mutants, you know, or the Wakanda yeah, equivalent. You, you believe it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, and yes, I I agree with almost everything you've said. the The only thing that I would I would disagree with you slightly on, and this might be a little bit almost semantics, is that. I don't think the fact that the supporting cast is great means that there's something wrong with the main character. Um, and I, I don't think that's exactly what you were saying no, either. That's but but to my to my mind, Black Panther's a really good character in this. He has a really solid story arc. He's he's similar to Captain America, as you said. But there's one major difference, which is unlike Captain America, Black Panther has doubts. T'Challa has doubts. Now his doubts aren't about superheroing. He knows how to do that. He's good at it. His doubts are about what to do as king. Yeah, that's that's, and that's true. The that's challenge that he's that he's that he's faced with, and I think that that theme carries through. And the and the final scene of the movie is a sort of a a a, a firm statement of saying like this is what he learned on this, and he learns from Killmonger. Like, I mean. <laughs> he doesn't it's not just a decision of that guy's wrong and therefore I'm going to go beat him up because I'm in a superhero movie like he has to learn and he realizes that, that 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 this is something he has to deal with and that there's no easy answer for it yeah uh which I thought was which I thought was again unlike most superhero movies where you've got a good guy that by the end is clearly right and the bad guy is clearly wrong and and while the methodology we'll say of of killmonger is is wrong um he's it's not like he doesn't have a very solid point of view and a completely justifiable point of view yeah i waited my entire life for this the world's gonna start over i'm gonna burn it all um and so I actually think, and and also T'Challa had a really good character arc in Captain America: Civil War, which we haven't talked about really, but he's introduced in that film, and he has a really good character arc. He's my favorite part of that movie. Um, you're my favorite character in that film, and then in his own film, I I go into this film already liking him, and then there's a different but equally important character arc for him here. What what I think. You know, like, I mean, I kind of look at this and I go, so if you're complaining to me that the supporting cast is so good, like, would you rather them have all been boring? Well, I, I'm i glad they're interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I also think T'Challa's interesting. I just think that makes it a better movie. Like, you took the time to make the support. You took the time and the effort to to create a supporting cast of of, you know, fleshed out characters that are engaging and entertaining in their own right. To me, you know... Uh, that's how movies should be made. Yeah, I think it's, like, it's <laughs> such a weakness. It's such a, I, I see it as such a weakness in a lot of these movies is not having these fully fleshed out, really interesting secondary characters. And that was one of the things that I love so much about this one is that they did have that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, seeing reviews and seeing people discuss the movie, a lot of people keep talking about each character had their own arc. And uh, as the screenwriter on this podcast... Uh, only one character should have an arc, and that is the protagonist, and that is T'Challa, and he has a, a great arc. He learns that, listen, we cannot be isolationists. We have to embrace that we're a part of this world, and I think that's great. And the, But we do need to understand when it comes to secondary characters and antagonists that uh, we need to understand their motivations, and, and this film handles that extremely well. Uh, and I also like the fact that uh, it, the way that they handle exposition 
they actually handle that in the very beginning. We hear voiceover of a father talking to the son. And on my first viewing, I thought that was T'Challa with T'Chanka, his father. Mm. <clears throat> but it was actually Killmonger and his dad. Um, and I thought that was an interesting choice to start off the movie with that. Because I'm not quite sure. Did you pick up that? Um, realize that uh, after seeing the film? I didn't realize no, that. I didn't, I I've didn't only either. seen it, though. Yeah, I didn't realize I've only seen it the one time. And now yeah, I'm going to go see it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because you you go in thinking, oh, this is a, this is him listening to his father, but then you start after you see it a second time, you go like, wait a minute, that that's probably um, Killmonger uh, Eric talking to his dad and him talking about Wakanda and uh, the history of the Black Panther, and uh, that that is an interesting choice and a smart choice, I think, after a second viewing. Yeah, I think so too, and I think I think just about every decision made with Killmonger was incredibly intelligent. <laughs> like, I mean, the, the way that character was handled, the fact that you see him early on, and then we come back to, to, to catching the spy, which we think is the, you know, just sort of this, you know, this, this black spot in, in the, the King's past, right. That, that T'Challa is dealing with and realize that that black spot has, festered and grown over these years and and is and the result is this assault on Wakanda um and on the and on that culture um I just thought that like all that was brilliant now I've been a fan of Michael B Jordan the actor for quite some yeah, time Yeah I was about to say he is man does he does he pull this stuff awesome. off I mean that, that guy's amazing He is one of my very yes. favorite actors in the world going back to the wire and uh friday night lights like he was so good in friday night lights and his young guy and he's just and uh creed like he has just blown me away he's so good oh my creed. god like yeah. every every point of his career has blown me away yeah he's been in all three of Coogler's yeah. uh yeah. films so uh, um i will say also the, uh, uh, sorry but talk oh, about secondary ahead. characters i was a little disappointed that uh, because in the Jungle Adventures uh, arc that we read, I was a little disappointed that they didn't include Venom uh, in the movie. And that's, <laughs> by the way, that's Venom, Venom with two M. Uh, who is, yeah, not to be confused with the Spider-Man. I, I had never heard of, I had never heard of Venom with two M's, who is a snake charmer, I guess. And, and yeah, uh, the, he is. Used to great effect <laughs> in jungle adventure. Jungle I, his action. backstory is so awesome. Like he went to night school to be a veterinarian or something, but he had to drop out because another kid like threw acid on his face during a lab session. And, but the but hey, the other the, the but the kid didn't even get in trouble because he said he didn't know what was in the vial. <laughs> I was like, you can't throw anything. You can't throw any chemical on someone in a in a in a lab. <laughs> like it's like, oh, I I thought it was something harmless. Like I, there's nothing harmless there. <laughs> well, you, uh, while Venom might not be terribly relevant to to the movie, one thing that you did bring up that is is how some of the backstories have changed. Um, and and we were talking about Killmonger, but again, when I, when I was saying every decision with Killmonger is a good one. Um, they changed his origin story quite significantly. Yes. Um, so in, in the comics, his origin, um, you know, he's in Africa and he is, I mean, it's still a very compelling and tragic origin story. And he is, he basically is forced to, to become a, a, a he's like enslaved essentially. Um, and, and comes back, you know, as an adult and he's very angry and he has very, he, he, in the comics, like in the film, he's got a very, particular point of view and he's got an agenda and it and it and it makes sense he's a compelling villain in in both um but in the film version he winds up sort of bridging all the wakanda and the african uh all this all the 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 dramas and the and all everything going on in wakanda he's the one that bridges that and 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 brings it to north america brings it to a relevancy to you know the united states and north america um, and, and uses some things, you know, I mean, you're, you're go going into this movie and, 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 
and I think the fact that Killmonger had sort of the, I don't know if the immigrant experience is the right, is the right term. I think it's probably not the right term, but, but he he's has an, this. He's an outsider. Like, you know, he's definitely an outsider. Right. Yeah. This outsider experience here in the United States. And, and there's this one violent action that, you know, of all of, of the way that, that a lot of African-American characters are treated in, in film these days, you know, the assumption is, oh, there's this violence and they come from this rough neighborhood and, you know, they get, you know, they get killed or whatever this way. And, and, and to use those tropes, um, but then bring it and to bring it back to Wakanda, as opposed to saying he was in America and therefore his life was terrible. What made his life terrible, that violent action came mm -hmm. from Wakanda, which I thought was incredibly mm -hmm. brilliant because it diffuses some, some societal or social issues. Um, and at the same time makes that makes the conflict between these two characters so much yeah. more personal. Um, so again, those decisions where they, where they went, where they took a different direction or a different take on a character from the comics worked in every case, I think worked beautifully for this film. Can we talk about claw a little bit? Uh, I no, sure. no, <laughs> no, 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 not. Time. How dare you? <laughs> uh, I, 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 that's the thing is like, he's really awesome. And Andy circus is one of my favorite actors in the world. I'm looking right now at the, uh, two towers poster that he signed for me back in 2002. Uh, I love him. And like, he's almost an afterthought because like everything else in this movie is so good. But I, I mean, I think he's so, I mean, in the comics, he's responsible for T'Chaka's death. Like he kills Black Panther's father. Um, and right. he, but my, my only, my previous experience with Claw was from the old Secret Wars series when and, and, <laughs> yeah actually right. mine yeah too. and he's yeah. a mine very well. different yeah. character in that because i think at that point he's insane and he's very silly and the thing that i mainly remember because he's made out of sound he's made like completely out of like solidified sound and the thing i remember is dr doom slicing him up into pieces like deli meat for some reason <laughs> and him just singing like, that's the other thing I remember. So I was like, oh, wow, he actually has more, a little more gravitas to him than I realized. Yeah, I would not, I would not say that's the traditional take on Claw. <laughs> um, but he is very, very different. I mean, you know, certainly from a power set. I mean, you know, one of the things that I love about Claw is that he can like just make these red elephants and gorillas out of sound. Yeah, that. right. <laughs> Like, I just love that. Like, that's a thing, right? Like, you, and you're in, like, you read that comic and you're like, yeah, okay, well, yeah, that's what happened. Um, well, you know, but, even within the comic books, he, he all, he changes. Um, I love what Reginald Hundle, Hundland did with, uh, with Claw and that, because he, he became an assassin um, in, in, you know, uh, his uh, adaptation of uh, Black yeah, Panther. Yeah, and it was... Yeah, it, again, he's a character that's changed a lot. Well, he, sorry, go ahead, he was taking up the mantle of his great-grandfather. Was that what it was? Or grandfather, who who killed, yeah. who attacked Wakanda, like, in the early part of the 20th century. And so he was, like, going after this kind of ancestral revenge against Black Panther, too. Um, but that was a cool thing, too, in the Hudlin run was... The, the kind of worked in like all the 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 antagonists in his run were all traditional European colonial powers. They all represent like Batroc was you know the, for the French, Claw was Belgium, and you right. know South Africa. That's Brian was American. American, yeah. So that was something that was really cool that, that wasn't really uh, touched on in the movie, but like that was a cool thing in that run. The uh these the other characters that we haven't really discussed is the uh the the women, which I think is um uh were were the the part that I love the most. I love seeing these uh these uh women just kicking butt and uh and you know I I thought that was that was fantastic. The Dora Dora Moulager. Don't freeze. I never freeze. My wife recently saw Black Panther. And that was the part that she loved the best. And I thought as a representation, uh, and she, my, my wife is Haitian, by the way, um, 
that was something that she immediately gravitated to. And I thought that was great to see that on the screen because how many years have we seen, or even look at the Oscar winners. They're either, uh, when it comes to, um, winner uh winners uh, of uh, black actors it's they've either played a maid or they've played a slave uh and so it's um it was really great to see a different representation of a warrior woman uh up on the screen yeah i mean i'm only gonna agree with you on this and i think i think that's a change that hopefully we're we're seeing and going to continue to see in in films going going forward is just stronger and more self-reliant and badass you know um women and not that not that not badass in the sense that they are now gonna act like men and in the in the sense that they're fleshed out full characters they don't have to be like you said either a maid or a or a or a slave or they don't have to be abused or they don't have to be whatever you know the other the other thing you know just for women women winning you know, Oscars and awards, like a lot of the time it's like, like, oh, she put on weight or she was ugly. Like if you remember, not to, not to take anything away from the performance, but, um, you know, for the film Monster, you know, Charlize Theron was like, oh, she's so brave. She's not she's this pretty. beautiful, gorgeous woman in this movie. And it's like, well, <laughs> well, uh, is, is that what, like, is that where the bar is? Is like, she's not super pretty and therefore that's noteworthy and award worthy or is there something more here like like do we actually care about the character and the performance and what she's able to do and i think i think that was also true to be fair but you know it was just there's just always like we, we're still you know sort of seeing these things through through those lenses which i think is un, unfortunate but i do think that that's starting to to change more and more and and I'll agree with you. I, like I thought, Adora Milaje. There's actually a note in the 1998 run, and I've forgotten what it is now. Like how to pronounce that, and I'm sure I'm not doing it right. Um, I thought they were great. I thought um, Shuri, his uh, his sister, and was, she's a scientist. Uh, really that's the first time we've seen um, like a woman who's a, a brilliant scientist. Also, that's that's we don't see that very often. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, she's her, you know, she can disagree with her brother and, and it, and it doesn't have to be this over the top family drama. Like they don't always agree in this movie, um, you know, and they talk like their family. And I think that's, that's part of what just makes all of these characters work, you know, and maybe it's highlighted with the female characters just because of how they've been, been treated in media for so long, but, but it's just how mm -hmm. they, they feel very natural in their roles, like, like the way they interact with each other and T'Challa interacts differently with Shuri than he does with his, with his mother than he does with, you know, M'Baku, you know, that, that his challenger, you know, but th they all have these dynamics and when they are on screen together, th those relationships change the way they behave. And so it feels very natural and it, and it bolsters the reality of those characters. Um, in a way that a lot of other films just don't do. And, and again, that goes back to screenwriting. It goes back to directing. It goes, certainly goes back to acting performances. Um, and it goes back to having such an incredibly strong cast. Like I will pretty much go see anything Angela Bassett is in because I just find her <laughs> mesmerizing as an, as she, an actress. She still should have been Storm. She should have been the original Storm. Yeah. My son, it is your time. You know, I wrote this question a while back, you know, a few weeks ago or, and so I think we already know what the answer to this may be. Uh, does the societal impact Marvel had with introducing T'Challa, its first black superhero back in 1966, rival the same societal impact that the film is experiencing today? It definitely mirrors the impact it has in a really interesting way. I mean, I for me, I, I'm, a, I'm assuming because I don't think I, any of us here were born when the comic came out in 66. I, I honestly don't know what, how much of an impact that had. I do know that this movie, and because it's good, uh, and because of its um, uh, material and the the fact that that it's a, a a African superhero, and the cast is uh, made up of, of of black actors, mainly black actors, that it's it's I think it's a bigger deal today 
than uh, say the the comic coming out in 1966. I could be wrong about that um, because you know in 66 I think comics were mm. still considered more for kids, and I, I'm not quite sure if the if newspapers were picking up on it and you know uh, and and there was things being written about it, uh, and not only that but the fact that it was introduced in a Fantastic Four as a as a antagonist to the Fantastic Four rather than being uh, an actual superhero in his own comic, I'd have to say that today seems to be um, a bigger uh, societal impact than probably in 66. It's, yeah, but it's, you think about 1966 too, like what was happening. There was a I, lot happening. There, there was a <laughs> lot happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's right, a great right. time? That's right. really a lot going on. <laughs> Vietnam War, yes. Yeah. Uh, but, well, that's actually something uh, someone reminded me of. That. I think it might have been our mutual friend, Rob Frakes, who pointed out that because they, the, the publisher, somebody came down on 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 them and, uh, with Black Panther and said, you need some white characters in this comic or no one will buy it. So Jack Kirby had him fight the KKK. Like in the next <laughs> like, no, what's his answer? But, you know, I, I just think it's, it's, yeah, it is. I think it's, it's a cool question. I think it's an interesting question because there, there are so many parallels. You know, it was interesting. And, I, and I, I turned, so I took my wife and my two kids to see, to see Black Panther. We all went, uh, we're driving home and, and I asked her what she thought of that final scene in front of the UN. And she's, it was like, I, I thought that was fine. You know, it seemed like a good statement of, kind of, you know, where the character wound up and which I agree with. But I mean, I kind of felt like that was this pretty big pushback politically right now. Was, was, was that just me? Or like, is, do I have my spider sense like up too high on that? Or, or no, do you guys feel I, that I was the case too? I, I, I certainly felt the same way, but I mean, I think everyone's really kind of hyper vigilant about all this stuff right now, but it, it definitely felt like deliberate. Right. But also I mean, in a way that wasn't insulting to people of different points of view, which I think is also. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it wasn't antagonistic. It was right. just and like, not this is kind of an alternative to a, kind of a prevailing mode of thought or whatever that is uplifting. And that come. Yeah, that. sorry about that, Skid. But that's where the screenwriting comes in. I mean, we understand the motivations of all the characters and understand the the final outcome of of, uh, of the film and where the that political idea is coming from. And so maybe if someone has a different point of view, they at least understand the character's motivation in that. And, and I think people would uh, not necessarily, well, I guess they could, but um, wouldn't have as big a problem with... Uh, the film because of that, because it seems to be inherent within the storytelling. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Or trying to hit you over the head with, uh, you know, like, this is my political statement, bam, yeah. bam, bam. But I also think that that, that kind of comes from the, the comic itself. One of the things that I loved about Don McGregor and what he did in 73 when he brought Chala back to Wakanda was that, uh, you know, he, to me, I think, I don't think this Black Panther movie actually happens if it's not for Don McGregor, uh, because... Before that, he was like, he's the king. They don't, you know, he's, why is the king a part of the Avengers in the United States? He should be here. And, uh, and I, uh, and, uh, and then I think that's where, I think really where this character gets started uh, to the one that we know in this movie. And you, often you come out of a movie about a character like that, that's been adapted and, and you're, you don't love the take on the character that they went with or, or something doesn't click or it doesn't feel like the character is supposed to feel and have none of those issues with, with this. And in some respects, I feel like this is, you know, the, the best version yet that I have, that I have seen of the character. Yeah. I feel the same way. I, I came out of this movie. I, I felt kind of the same with that. I've always liked him, but I was never like a huge black Panther fan, but now Especially after doing all the the reading that we've done, and and on top of the movie, I I am I, like I love the character, like he's he's great. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that there are a lot of people who have seen this movie that are really looking forward to seeing the the next the the sequel mm -hmm. to this film, and uh, and I definitely count myself as. It one made of me those. more excited for uh, Infinity War too. Because that's. Ex 
That's exactly yeah. what Marvel wanted. <laughs> but like watching, <laughs> watching the trailer, especially <laughs> now seeing what I think my favorite hero is Captain America and like seeing those kind of parallels that I pointed out between T'Challa and Steve Rogers, that moment that's that hands down, maybe my favorite moment in any trailer ever is T'Challa. That's like, get this man a shield. Like, I get chills. Even just saying it right now, like I get chills. Like, oh man, that's so cool. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the things that Marvel uh, has done is really opened up the entire year to movie releases. There was a time, just you know, a decade ago, where if you released a movie in January and February, it was considered it wasn't good, and that's why they planted it there because the the more prestigious movies were coming out. And uh, the Oscars is coming up, and so they're going to be, you know, hitting you with these prestige movies. And then in August, it's the dog days of summer. You know, the blockbusters have already hit. And now, you know, we had Deadpool a couple of years ago mm -hmm. released, I believe, in February. Mm -hmm. We have this in February. You had, I believe, Ant Man may have been released in August. I mean, they're starting to realize that they can basically, you know, release one of these films, uh, a comic book adaptation you know, every month or every two months, and it doesn't matter when it comes out, people are going to go and, and, and see these. Um, so. Uh, yeah. January, January and February used to be kind of a garbage dump for, for movie studios. They just like, whatever they think wasn't going to do well anyway, they would just like toss it in, especially January. But, but yeah, now it's, that's they're You're right. Yeah. And, I, and I don't know, it. I don't know that I would credit just Marvel, you know, cinematic universe with that, but um you know, certainly we started to see that change, you know, going as far back as like 300, I think was released in March. And it was this, you know, at the time, massive success for a bunch yeah. film, but, but, you know, part of that is counter-programming, right? I mean, there aren't entertaining big movies in March. So when you put one in there, it's the only one there. So attendance in movies as a whole is down from the, from the, the summer, but those people going to the movies were predominantly going to that one because it was the one people were talking about, you know? And so, so I think, you know, I, I think there were several steps in, in that. I think you're right that they, they are doing that now. Or the key thing to me that when Marvel started making their own movies that they did was prior to Iron Man and Hulk coming out, which were the first, you know, the first two Marvel produced movies that, that, the way comic book adaptations worked was somebody would get the license and they would say, okay, we're going to hire a bunch of people that know how to make movies and they're going to make a movie that happens to be about a comic book, but we're, but we're going to use all our movie making powers to make it cooler. And that had some successes. I mean, there were some successes under that general model, right? Um, but what Marvel did was Marvel went to Hollywood and said, this is what we do well, and this is how we do it over there in publishing. And they brought their skills to bear on the film industry and, on, and, and, on, and, and brought those to filmmaking. And those are things like the connectivity, getting people excited by a mention over here, or you see Captain America's shield under Iron Man's machinery, you know, um, you know, the end credit scene that teases you into the next issue. You know, these are the these are the powers that Marvel brought to cinema as opposed to the as opposed to cinema saying we don't want anything to do with that because that's not how cinema works. Marvel did the exact opposite. And I think I think part of what what we're seeing play out in this is one of the things they do so well is they get you pumped. So at the end of Black Panther, I want to go see Avengers Infinity War. That much more. And so they're they they're so adept at 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 giving you a complete piece of entertainment, but then pointing you directly to that next thing that you're excited about now. And that's, and that comes from that history of see in 30 days for the next issue. That next issue comes out, see in 30 days for the next issue. And yeah. Or these big like right. crossover events that they have in yeah. comics, same kind of thing. Well, um, I last thoughts on this movie before we wrap this up. Um, Skid? Uh, I, I liked it. <laughs> I don't know if I made that clear, but I, I did. I did enjoy the movie, and uh, I really thought I, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. Like I love Ryan Coogler so much, 
And I just, I love it when filmmakers like go back to their own personal roots. And I just love that he involved Oakland so much, you know, in, in a movie about Black Panther. Like that was, that was awesome. But yeah, I loved, I loved the movie and uh, I can't wait for the next one. Andy? Yeah, yeah, I'm on the same page. In fact, I think that I started loving this movie more as we were talking about it. Because, like, we would talk <laughs> about it and somebody would say something. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah. That was awesome. You know, like, I, I, yeah, like, I'm, I'm ha yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a reason it's gotten such high praise. And, it, and, and, and there's multiple reasons why it's gotten such high praise. I don't think you get the kind of high praise this movie has gotten almost universally without being good in a lot of different respects. Like it managed to get this, have the same kind of cultural uh, impact and representation that Wonder Woman yeah. did, and then add in all these other layers to it. And I like it. I liked Wonder Woman, but I like this a lot better. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Um, but I would have to say that um, for some odd reason, Wonder Woman, I know we're wrapping this up here. Um, I, I felt there was something about, maybe it's because we've already seen Black Panther on the big screen. Um, there was a, uh, well, we actually had already seen Wonder Woman as well, but there was something about Wonder Woman that I thought was a, that, uh, that hit me a little more emotionally than I think with, uh, Black Panther. And I don't know exactly why that was, but I did love the movie and, uh, um, so looking forward to seeing the second one, uh, and Black Panther in, uh, the, the movie that's coming out on April 27th. Woo. All right. Thanks James for, for coming up with the questions and everything. This was, this was great. Thank great you. Discussion. Thank, Thank you. you, James. Thank you both. You're welcome. So thanks uh, everybody for listening. Um, we've all, we're all involved in, in different things. So we're, we're going to end each episode probably with a short plug. So I hope you'll stick around and, and listen to it because you might enjoy some of our other work elsewhere. Um, Skid, what's coming up for you? Uh, we've got a couple of, uh, podcasts on the glass cannon network. There's the glass cannon podcast. Uh, we've got, uh, a Starfinder themed podcast, it's a sci-fi themed role-playing game. We're going to be playing through that's coming up in April. And, uh, we've got our Patreon only sub Patreon subscriber only podcast, uh, Raiders of the Lost Continent that I am GMing myself that we're having a great time with. Wow. That sounds like you got a promotion if you get to GM it. I know, right? Yeah, that's good. James, what have you got coming up? Uh, while we were doing this podcast, I was getting artwork for a comic book that I'm actually writing and, and producing, and the artwork oh. is amazing. So I'm hoping, hoping to wrap this up. It's taking a very long time. Uh, Andy, I think, can attest to that uh, the creation of a comic book and working with artists uh, is is fun and enjoyable, but if everything doesn't align properly, it just takes longer than maybe than it should. But uh, we're wrapping it up, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that the artwork is looking amazing. And um, I'm working on this tele, this uh, TV pilot that uh, is doing the rounds. And uh, I, I guess that's it. And I'm teaching a screenwriting course for you, Andy. Over the <laughs> when that does that start? start? <laughs> <laughs> Let me look at my post. Let's hear more about my that. Note on, uh, I believe the first class is uh, June 21st. Uh, and it runs all the way all to right. the end of July. So I'm, it's a, yeah. it's going to be a, a fun course, and we're going to be dealing with uh, uh, writing exercises that deal in particular genres and different aspects of uh, of screenwriting to really hone in and uh, get someone to focus on the basics of screenwriting and the foundations of telling a story using this medium. And uh, it's something I'm really looking forward to doing. Yeah, and uh, you can check that out at, at um, screenexperience.com or, frankly, if you go to comicsexperience.com, you can find it in the course listings there as well. As for me, I am still running Comics Experience. Um, we've, we do courses on comics writing, comics art, lettering, coloring, everything. We've got, uh, we've got what we call the Creators Workshop, which is a 24-7 online forum, and that, that comes with um, live workshops as well. Um, and I'm doing a bunch of writing. Um, I actually just had a Black Panther story published. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. You've been holding yeah. on. I've been holding holding back. I didn't I didn't <laughs> want to come off like I, you know, like I knew the character super well. Um, um, now I understand why we're I, doing this podcast. I need to do some research. Uh, it's, uh... But uh <laughs> yeah, look at that. Master at plugging things. That's 
that's oh. going to be my moniker on the on the <laughs> gravestone. Um, yeah, but that just came out in um, in from Disney Publishing uh, worldwide. They do these sort of storybook collections, and uh, you know, there's an Avengers storybook collection, and and I got to write for 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 children. I got to write uh, Black Panther's origin and Black Panther fighting fighting claw and i got to use vibranium and i felt cool. very happy the whole time i was writing it and um and i, I do a few of these and, and they're a ton of fun especially i mean it's nice to get to get paid to write superhero stories but uh it's also great because i've got a 10 year old and a seven year old and and when when these things show up um um they're completely uninterested in them and and that <laughs> fills my soul with joy but at least you know their classmates <laughs> in school think that's cool yeah. that i do that yeah. um but yeah, so we've got a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on right now, and uh, coming up, I'll be at several comic book conventions, including Chicago C two E two, the first week of April. I'm going to Philadelphia for the Great Philadelphia Comic Con, um, and I'll be in Houston uh, in May, and then uh, I'll certainly be at San Diego come July, but maybe even others before then. So if you happen to be in those areas and going to those shows, um, come find me and say hi. Love to talk with you. Cool. Let's do it. That's it. That's a wrap. Hooray. You've been listening to Pages to Pictures, brought to you by ScreenExperience.com and ComicsExperience.com. Please leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks.